This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Thank you, band, for leading us to those songs this morning. So as I said before, uh, my name is Joe. I'm an el- one of the elders here at Mill City Church. Um, the other one is Andy Gardner in the yellow plaid shirt. Uh, when Chris, a couple weeks ago, asked me to preach, uh, my response to him was the normal one, uh, kind of like a hesitant, sure, on what? Uh, I knew we were doing this, this thread series, so I thought it'd kind of be like an easy softball to me that he would kind of already have it prepared. He had the scripture picked out, uh, but he threw me a curveball instead, and he said, it can be on anything you want. And so that was really freeing, but also as someone who's still learning how to write sermons better each time he comes up here, it was, it was also kind of scary. So as I was thinking and thinking, and I had a bunch of ideas floating around in my head, uh, the one that I came up to, or came up with, and what I really wanted to, to learn myself and then teach all of you, uh, first came from a song that was stuck in my head all week, and, and that led me to think of a struggle I've had from most of my Christian life from high school on to now. Uh, it started with a, a song, and, and it wasn't a Christian song, and it wasn't a Christian band. It was uh, Linkin Park is the band. Uh, and maybe some of you know who that is, and some of you don't. They were really big when I was in high school, and I'm going to age myself on both ends. Those of you older than me are going to think, wow, he's really young. And those of you that are younger than me are going to think, wow, he's really old. That, this, their CDs started being popular in 2002, and I was in high school. I know some of you were in kindergarten over here when that was going on, I think. Um, but recently, uh, Linkin Park's been, been in the news uh, because their lead singer, um, Chester Benton, he, he committed suicide not too long ago. And it, it, it really impacted me because, you know, we've had a lot of other superstars pass away recently, whether it was Michael Jackson or, or Whitney Houston, but this was the first one from, from my generation. Um, and, and so it really impacted me. It, it made me sad um, for his life and his family. But, you know, this is music that I grew up on and, and really liked. Uh, and recently... They, the band came out with an album and before he passed, and they released a music video for one of the songs that he had written, and they did the music video and kind of like a, as a memento towards him, as a memory for him. The song's called One More Light. Maybe you've seen it on YouTube. Uh, it was like trending for like a week at number two or three or something like that. Uh, but the chorus, for whatever reason, really like jumped in my brain. And it, the song has nothing to do with God. He, Chester wrote it uh, because... He knew his fans were a lot of hurting young people, and um, it's, it's for people that have lost somebody. And he wrote it to say to them that, that I care, I'm here for you. And so the chorus that really stuck in my brain for an entire week uh, goes like this. If they say, who cares if one more light goes out in a sky of a million stars, it flickers, flickers. Who cares when someone's time runs out? If a moment is all we are, we're quicker, quicker. Who cares if one more light goes out? Well, I do. And so that was Chester saying to whoever's listening to the song, I care, I'm here for you. But that, for me, like I heard God saying that in the midst of a lot of things that have been going on, a lot of natural disasters and a lot of hurting in our country. I I just pictured a lot of people just like looking down. It's like just nobody cares. There's just so much. If there is a God, how could he possibly care? And the words, well, I do, just really jumped out at me. And so that led me to to think of a, a... a struggle that I've had, like I said, since I was in high school. Uh, I've been a Christian since I was around 12 or 11 years old, but I've always really had a hard time when really big things happened. Um, the clearest one I can think of is 9-11 in 2001. Um, I was 15 years old. I remember watching it on TV in high school and getting released early and going home. 
And I just remember being so angry and talking with my mom. And I had an understanding that, that God's in control of everything. And, and everything, you know, that the thing we're always told, everything happens for a reason. And I, I just remember saying to her, there's no way whatever he was trying to accomplish couldn't have been done another way. This, this is not the best way. There's no way this is the best way for him to do whatever he is doing. And I was, I was so angry with God. And I remember, I think back to a couple of years later after that, um, we had some family friends. And uh, the husband was a pastor for my church for a long time. They're an awesome family. They were missionaries. And their daughter, um, when she was around 14, um, was diagnosed with cancer. And she was my little sister's best friend. And so I watched my little sister struggle with this and cry over this, and that broke me. And she went into remission. I remember thinking, okay, God's answering my prayers of healing, and this is great. But then I remember getting the text that she had passed away. And, um, sorry, it's, it, was, uh, it was hard, and I was angry again. But this time more sad, but then really, really angry, and even to the point of cursing God. And I say that before you humbly, and that I have confessed that to God, that that was sin and wrong. My reasoning in those type of situations and how I coped with it went something like this, and maybe this is where you've been and this is the best that you've come up with. You know, I just say to myself, well, sin has broken this world. Matt talked about that in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at that more later. Um, and this was God's, not, not God's design. God didn't do this. Sin broke this world and it just happened. Um, or I'd say, maybe I'm, I'll never know why. I said, just, just, just stop thinking about it. I'll never understand why. I just need to trust God more and move on. I was still bitter, but just thought maybe I just need to move on. Now, each of those responses, they contain a little bit of truth, but not the whole picture. Yes, the world is broken because of sin, and that's a fact. Uh, yes, I do need to trust God in those situations more. We need to trust him more and be able to move on from that. But if we want to live lives that honor Christ, we need to know the real truth, the whole truth. Otherwise, our hearts and our minds can be ruled by feelings like mine were in my past, emotions, or current trending theology. And that's why we're going to go to the one place we know that contains absolute truth, and that's the Word of God. It's the Bible. Uh, you guys can start opening your Bibles, and you can put a finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be vo- focusing on verses 16 through 18. We're going to be looking at a lot of other passages today, but you should just keep your finger there. That's going to be our base. Now, our goal for today, when we look at how to deal with affliction or our answer to affliction, as you see the title on your sermon notes. Um, I'm going to look at what do we do? How do how, what do we actually do to respond to affliction in our lives? And then I'm going to spend a lot more time on why we respond in that way. And then lastly, we're going to look at like literal applications of how we can do it. If you look in your notes, you'll see the central focus of today is that in this life, we will face hardships and afflictions. That's just a fact. And as Christians, the way we react during these times, it it matters. I'm not going to start today by looking at why suffering exists. That's a whole message in and of itself. And Chris actually did preach on that about a year ago. It's a sermon titled, Why Do We Suffer? You can find that on our website. It was on uh, October 19th of last year. I'm going to assume the fact that we all know that suffering and uh, affliction exists. And I'm going to assume that we've all been through it to some degree. And it can be as little as a car accident or frustrating that your car has died on the highway to losing a loved one. One of our best examples in the Bible on how to endure suffering is the Apostle Paul, for sure, hands down. He endured so much, more than most of us ever will, for his faith. 
yet he never stopped living his life for the sake of the gospel. We're looking at one of his letters today, as I said, uh, in, uh, to the church in Corinth. And though I would like to read all of chapter 4 to really get the context and the meat around what we're doing, we don't really have time for that today. Uh, so for, this, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the summary of uh, chapter 4 up to verse 16. So we see Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's encouraging them amidst his suffering. At the, at the beginning of chapter 4, he talks to them about not losing hope in his ministry, despite the fact that there are people that are flat out rejecting him. He goes on to point out that though he and his partners in the faith, the people working with him, they've been beaten down continually time after time. They keep getting back up. And they do this for the sake of Jesus' name, and they do it to be more like him. In verses 13 through 15, Paul reminds the church that their faith is the same as that of David, who also suffered. He does that to encourage them. And the same God, he says, the same God who raised Christ from the dead will also raise them up with Jesus into his presence. So he's telling them, I'm suffering, I'm doing okay, and then he's encouraging them and telling them why. He was an incredibly tough guy. But I know that he would never give himself credit for his resilience. And he ends chapter 4 with a straightforward response to hardship in the faith. And that's where we're going to be picking up in our scripture notes today. Uh, take a look with me at verse 16 through 18 of chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's where we're going to begin in your notes this morning. When we face hardships and afflictions in our lives, what do we do in response? First, you'll see that Paul said in verse 16, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We keep going. We get back up. We don't give up on our family. We don't give up on life itself. We don't give up on our jobs, our marriages. We don't give up on our faith. We don't give up when you lose your job. We don't give up when you lose everything you had. Your bank account is showing zeros. Don't give up when your marriage is crumbling. And don't give up when your cancer has returned. Losing heart and throwing in a towel is, is the natural thing to do. And quite frankly, it's the easy thing to do. Fighting through the pain and holding firm in your faith is hard. It is really, really hard. And we're going to talk a lot about that today and where we get the strength to do that. My encouragement to you is to be like Paul and to do hard things. Just taking the time to work through your feelings instead of them letting them rule you while you're afflicted, that's hard. Listening to a message like today can be hard. Teaching a message like today is hard. Don't lose heart. In another letter, but this time Paul writes it to the, uh, the Roman church, he tells the Christians they're not just to hold on, but to rejoice in their sufferings. And that's the second way in which you respond to affliction in our lives in your notes. You'll see we rejoice. I'm going to read from Romans 5, 3 through 5, where Paul writes, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Similarly, in the first chapter of James, one of my favorite books, uh, in verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When we suffer, when we go through trials, big or small, as it said in James, various kinds, we're, we're talking everything from a frustrating day at the office or at school, all the way up to uh, a hurricane destroying your house. There's, there's purpose, and we gain something. It makes us stronger. We can endure more that day than we could the day before. And this endurance that we get, the steadfastness or perseverance, whatever your translation says, it produces character. And this character is the character of Jesus. It makes us more like him. And as we become more perfect and complete like Christ, our hope is made secure. And this hope will not put us to shame when our time is up and we face God in eternity because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which God has given us. To sum up why we can rejoice and find joy in suffering, it's because our suffering is not meaningless. That's the next line in your notes. Our suffering is not meaningless. I'm going to continue on my theme talking about music. My wife Lauren's favorite band is Switchfoot. And one of my favorite lines in one of their CDs, yeah, exciting, Switchfoot, uh, is the wound is where the light shines through. And I love that line. It, it's the wounds within us is where God's promise, where God's love where it shines through us to other people, allows us to comfort other people because what we've gone through, they see our scars and they can trust us. And we can see our scars and we can trust God that he's brought us through our past. Now you might be thinking, okay, Joe, you just told me that I have to be happy when I struggle and when I face afflictions. I'm just supposed to paint on this happy face and go about my day. And unfortunately, that's, that is a belief of a lot of Christians when they read this kind of stuff. And, and, and that's not what we're talking about. That's not the kind of joy or happiness that Paul is, is talking about and that James is talking about. And this is said before at Mill City Church, but I think it bears repeating because it's important. This is not the same kind of happiness when the Patriots win. This is not the same kind of happiness when my son eats his dinner without crying or when I find 20 bucks in my pocket. It's, it's not the same thing. This joy, this happiness that is being talked about here, uh, it's real. And it, it comes from wisdom. It comes from the reminding of ourselves of what we truly know from reading the word. It's truth that elevates above our feelings and our emotions during those times. So the truth of who God is and what he has done for us should bring us joy in the darkest of times. That's basically what I'm trying to say. That's where I want to go in the next part of your notes. We've, we've looked at quickly what we do to respond to affliction. We don't lose heart and we rejoice. But Why? Why can we respond this way? Well, first, it's because our present afflictions don't compare to our eternal glory. Our present afflictions, they don't compare to our eternal glory. We see in verse 17 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, For this moment, light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He writes again in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, Paul writes the same thing in two different spots. And when the Bible repeats itself from what I've learned in studying, you pay attention to it. It's a continuing theme. It matters. And now it might be really tempting to think, well, yeah, Joe, of course, in light of eternity, you know, my broken leg is going to heal. And yeah, it doesn't compare to eternity with God. That's just a short thing. Or I'll, I'll eventually get over the death of a loved one, or eventually I'll find a new job. So yeah, of course, 
our afflictions are, are light and momentary compared to eternity. But I want to remind you who the person is that is writing this. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul. His momentary affliction lasted the rest of his life from conversion to his death, which was, by the way, execution by beheading. This light and momentary affliction that he talked about was that heavy, but eternity was still that much more worth it to him because he knew the truth. Brothers and sisters, that fact should humble us. It humbles me. It makes me think about how time after time I let small things drive me to despair and frustration. And it's because I lose sight of the eternal glory in Jesus that I have been given and that I can look forward to. Also, be encouraged that even when you're sinking in a trial that seems too much to bear, that even then, in the severe pain, your afflicted life here on earth is barely a blip on the timeline compared to the eternity with Jesus. And that's an eternity that, as Matt said, knows no sin, no pain, and no suffering. So we can respond in strength and joy because our present afflictions, they don't compare to our eternal glory. And also because we can trust that God is always in control. That's the next line in your notes. God is always in control. And there's a reason I had that be the underlying blank. The always, it's important. It's a fundamental truth for us to believe in as Christians. In our human minds, it makes sense for God to be in control of saving grace, providential giving, love, forgiveness. It, it, that's easy for us to understand. But it's really hard to understand and accept that God is in control of disaster as well. Let's look back at Romans 8 after Paul told us that our current sufferings can't compare to future glory. So we're going to read Romans 8, 18 through 21. It'll also be on the screens. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. Verse 19 tells us that creation itself longs for when Jesus returns. And Matt talked about that, to redeem his people and also the earth and all that's in it. This world is completely broken from the mountaintops to the sky down to a cell and a mosquito. And it's all because of the damages of sin. Now creation began in perfect harmony, but when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, in their decision to disobey God, that's, that's when sin broke everything in that moment. And it is up until today. Now up until I studied this passage, getting ready for this morning, I never really understood the rest of Romans 8. But I looked closely at verse 20, and I want you to look at that again with me. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The New Living Translation says it in a little more clear way. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. I bet you haven't read that before. Unless you have a New Living Translation Bible. Church, we can't go on saying that the disasters in this life are out of control due to a world that's just broken by sin and set off into motion and an evil power that God has nothing to do with. He has everything to do with it. He subjected the world to his curse because of sin. He subjected it. If that's not direct enough for you, God himself speaks through the prophet Isaiah 
in chapter 45, verse 7. And he simply says, I form light and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is always in control. He created everything and still to this very day is every bit in charge of this world as the day he declared it was good. We can trust that God is always in control. We can trust also that he controls nature. That's the next line in your notes. He controls nature. Psalm 135, 6 and 7 writes, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all of the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Now Chris touched on this a little bit after Hurricane Harvey, for those of you that were here that morning. He reminded us that God is in control of the weather even during hurricanes. And in light of what happened in Mexico, he's in control of nature during earthquakes as well. And he's also in charge of the, the hurricanes that have utterly dismantled Puerto Rico right now. Now I know this is not easy to accept. It might even be discouraging, but it's a fact. God's in control of the weather. He's also in control of our very lives. I'm not going to get into an argument of free will versus predestination. That is another sermon for a smarter person on another day. But we, let me just simply say, we have the ability to make our own choices. God gives us free will, but that's his choice to give us free will. So ultimately, he's still in control. And I'll let you wrestle with that in your own time. If you want to talk more about that later, I'm happy to do my best to work through it with you. Another way you could look at that, another way you could say it is that he decides when life begins and ends and everything in between. He decides when life begins and when it ends and everything in between for each one of us. Let's look at another psalm. Psalm 139, 14 through 16. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when, yet, when as yet there was none of them. I remember when, uh, I, a little over a year ago now, um, going through the process of the little app that showed us how big Travis was getting when Lauren was first found out we were pregnant. And uh, it started, and it blew my mind. Like, I, I took biology in high school, but I didn't care about the birthing process at that point. Uh, that was a long way away. And, uh, and so I just kind of gleaned over. I probably got a B minus or something in that test. But I was so wrapped up in it now because I had something for it. I mean, I was going to have a baby soon, or my wife was. And, uh, and it's the fact that he started, and it had like a picture of three layers of cells. And this layer was going to be the muscular system. This one was going to be the skeletal, and this one was going to be the, the nervous. And if I got that wrong, medical majors, you can correct me afterwards. But regardless, he started as a, a, a chunk of cells, and then each week or month on you know, this little app, it shows you, oh, today he's a pea, today he's an acorn, today he's a watermelon. That was at the end when Lauren was like, out oh, to here. Um, it was amazing to see how, how something that little had fingernails so early and could hear my voice uh, at 20 weeks or something like that. Like that was, it was mind-blowing. And that, I love that scripture because it's just this idea of God forming the baby inside the mother and having everything to do with that. 
But before we even resemble the cute images we see when we see that ultrasound and find out if we're having a boy or a girl, God sees us. He's, he's personally molding us with his hands. And even more amazingly, he knows the exact day we're going to be born, which I'm sure there are people here that would love to know that if they're pregnant. I mean, wouldn't that be great to just know the day is coming to be ready? He knows that exact minute. He knew that Travis was not going to come out until we forced him out. But he also knows the exact moment we're going to die. So let that sink in. He, he knows that before you even come out. And whether it's 90 years or 90 minutes after you, you come outside your mother's womb, God knows it and he has ordained the exact length of our lives. To think otherwise, it's just our attempt or my attempt at times to water down the truth that makes it easier for us and others to digest. Our Father is not surprised by death, ever. Jerry Bridges uh, wrote a really good book. It's called, is, is God Really in Control? Trusting, in a God, Trusting God in a World Full of Hurt. I cannot recommend this enough if you're like me and you struggle with this subject. Chris recommended it to me when I was in college, and going back over it uh, this week to prepare was, was awesome. I, I really recommend it. Um, but what he writes um, is that, this God, who is the God of deafness, muteness, and blindness, and he's referring to Jesus, how he healed people from those things, is also the God of cancer, arthritis, Down syndrome, and all other afflictions that come to us or our loved ones. None of these afflictions just happen. They are all within the sovereign will of God. For me, this is probably the hardest truth about God to accept, and maybe it is for you too. I'd much rather not think about it or just blame Satan or blame sin that comes with the death of a loved one or the hardships that I go through on a yearly basis. One of the greatest examples of this is Job. We're not going to go through that whole book, but in a nutshell, Job was a righteous man, loved God, and, and Satan had a bet for God. And he said, I bet you if, if you took away his wealth and his family and his health, he would curse your name. And so he allows him, God allows Satan to do that in those steps. He, he kills his family, he loses his house, his wealth, his livestock, and then eventually is just covered in these painful sores and boils that he literally is scraping with broken clay. Like the man is just ruined, but he still worships God. The reason I bring that example up, other than the extreme example of faith, is that in that situation, it would be really tempting for Job or for me to, to look into that story and say, well, well, Satan did that. God didn't do it. Satan took his family. Satan took everything from him. But if we don't look at the beginning, Satan had to ask God for permission. And in an imperfect way, I was trying to think of how to explain this. I, I think of um, owning a dog. Now, if I have my dog on a leash, Jada, and she is, and there's someone in front of me, and she is just rearing, and she's chomping, and I know very well she's, if I let go of this leash, she's going to bite that person's face off. And I let go of the leash. Whose fault is it? It's my fault. It's my responsibility, ultimately, even though my dog did the dirty work. I know this is really hard to swallow. And I know it's hard to accept. But look at it this way. Why would I, and why would we, continue to have faith in God, to praise him, to come here on Sunday mornings, to, to pray to him during the week, to trust him, but take the power over sickness and death away from him. If he's not in control of that stuff, what are we doing? 
If we're praying to him for help and trusting him in our afflictions, it has to be because we know in our hearts deep down that he's in control of it all. Now your your next line of thinking might be, okay, fine. God's in control. He's all-powerful. In my mind, I can come to grips with that. I can recognize that. But how am I supposed to live, Joe? How am I supposed to love and be encouraged and trust a creator who just sits up in heaven on his throne watching us suffer and allowing it to happen and, in, and ordaining it in different situations? How am I supposed to, what do, what do I do with that? The answer I have found, and that personally helps me and hopefully you as well, is that while God is always in control, as we just saw, our God has personally felt sorrow and is compassionate towards his children. Our God has personally felt sorrow and is compassionate towards his children. Knowing that our God is not some high power with a stone heart, no personal understanding of our struggles on earth gives me peace. It really does. And I pray that it does for you as well. Really quick, I just want to look at Isaiah 53 verse 3 and another passage as well. Isaiah writes, He was despised and rejected by men. He's talking about Jesus here a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now this was a prophecy about Jesus, but it is absolutely true. It came true. He was acquainted with grief. He was rejected. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, 31 through 33. There's a book I don't read often, but should. The NIV translation, it's really right on point with what we're talking about here. It says, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. That's probably the ESV one up there, so you can just listen to me. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Now that last sentence is kind of weird, and I've really struggled with that and and thought long and hard about that and argued about that with um, other Christians. And okay, he, he doesn't willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone, but no one's forcing him to do it. So if he's not willing, what does that mean? Well, the short answer is, truthfully, only God knows. The long answer, in, in my attempt at explaining it, is uh, I think about a parent. Um, I know a lot of my examples today are coming from that, but it works really well here. Now, Travis just had a, his one-year checkup. And for those of you with kids, you know that at the one-year mark, they get a couple shots. Now, when he was really little, like an infant, like he didn't know what was going on. So I was sad to see him cry, but he didn't, had no idea. He just felt the pinch. But now that he's older and he can see what's happening, I was dreading this. But I said I would be the one to hold him. I'm going to be strong. I'll hold him. I'm his father. I'll keep him calm. And so then as the first one went in, he kind of like, wait a minute. And as the second one went in, ow, that kind of hurt. And by the third and fourth, he recognized what was happening. He was crying and creaming. And I had to hold my son and keep him from moving so that the doctors could give him vaccinations for him to be healthy. Now, was I willing to hurt my son and put him through pain? No, that was not something I desired to do. But I did it because it was for his good. Again, it's, it's not a perfect example. But that's one way we can look at God. He is our Father, He allows us to go through painful things because it's good for us and also brings him glory. Secondly, God is outside of human logic. We we can't put him in the box of being a person. You know, it's really tempting. You know, if if I'm a person and and 
and I hit my hand with a hammer and say, well, I didn't willingly do that, you'd be looking at me like I was crazy. It's completely acceptable for God, because he is God, to act in a way that causes pain for us for the purpose of his glory, but at the same time weep over it because he loves us. We'll never fully understand this on this side of eternity, but we have two examples in the Bible that can help us see a little bit how God has caused something to happen and he's still grieved over it. As Christians, we know that God the Father did not spare his own son. God the Father did not spare his own son. The Father loved the Son more than anything. They are one and they have been for all of eternity and before time. But the Father was willing and chose to give him up to bring us to him. I've always marveled at that, that God could have, and he's God, he could have thought of any other way to save us, to pay for our sin, but he chose to show us how much he loved us by sacrificing his own son. In the same moment God's only plan for salvation was coming true, he was pouring all of his wrath on his one and only son, Jesus. And that you know that caused him pain. We also see God's active will and power over death, contrasted with his sorrow in the account of Jesus and his friend Lazarus, Lazarus in John chapter 11. Uh, it's a fairly long account. I encourage you to read it. It's verses 1 through 37 during the week. I'm going to sum it up for you. Jesus is with his disciples, and a, and a messenger comes and tells him, your friend Lazarus, the one you love, who's brother of Mary Martha, who you also love, he's sick. Come quickly, because they know Jesus has healing power. And what does Jesus do? He purposely waits two days before he departs to go see Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, Lazarus dies before Jesus can get there, and Jesus tells his disciples he is glad at this so that they may believe. There was a purpose to his death, and we know that reading further, it was so that they could witness him bringing Lazarus back from the dead. They could witness this power, write it in the Gospels that we could read it. It helped strengthen the faith of his disciples and all who saw it happen there. However, at the same time, while Jesus was glad that this happened, while he had a purpose in it, the Bible states clearly that Jesus is deeply moved by the sorrow of Mary. And in the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, we see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Messiah, weep. Jesus wept. The theme of today is that I know a lot of this is hard to understand and accept. I realize I wrote that many times in my notes. Even for the seasoned Christian, to know that our God is faithful, completely good, and loving, while knowing that he's in control of every struggle, every sickness, every storm, is something that we will wrestle with forever. And that's okay. It's okay. Just wrestle with it in humility. The Gospel Coalition had a, an interesting art, article that, that Matt shared with me. Um, and it dealt with a lecture done by D.A. Carson. And I really liked what he had to say about this. He talks about how until Christ returns, we currently live in all kinds of ambiguities where we do not know the mind of God and we dare not act as if God owes us detailed explanations. And he goes on to say that God wants our trust more than he wants our understanding. I confess that in my pride, it's, it's hard for that explanation to be good enough for me on some days. 
But it's in those days I need to be reminded of who I am as Joe. I'm the created one. I'm not, I haven't, I didn't make anything. I'm created by God who is infinite. I'm finite. And I was made for his glory, not my own. Now this thought leads us into our last grouping of today. We talked about what our responses should be like in affliction in our lives, that we don't lose heart, we rejoice in suffering because it's not meaningless. We looked at why we're able to respond this way, that our present afflictions don't compare to our eternal glory. We can trust God, that God is and always has been in control of nature in the very beginning and end of each life, and that our God has personally felt sorrow and therefore has real compassion towards his children because he has felt what we feel. Now I want to take some time to look at more of an application for our own lives. So maybe you're accepting this today and you're tracking with me and you're saying, all right, Joel, how do I go home and do this? How do, I, how do I live this out? Well, first, we renew our minds each and every day. We renew our minds each and every day. Looking back to the original scripture of today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we look at the second half of verse 16. It tells us that we don't lose heart even when our outer or physical self is wasting away because our inner or spiritual self is being renewed day by day. Now, how is our inner self being renewed day by day? Well, it's being renewed by God. Obviously, he's the one actively doing this. But in order for that to happen, for God to give God the opportunity to do that, we have to fight the lies of this world in our own broken hearts with the sword of truth, and that's God's word. We have to spend time with this. That's how we renew our souls and our innermost beings every day. We pray to God. We sing worship songs in the car. We, do what we, uh, we meditate. We memorize. We look at all the truths that we looked at today about God's sovereignty and control. And it helps us when we're in the middle of personal tragedy or watching someone else's. If you're in a time of peace right now, maybe this message isn't really connecting with you and, and life's good then I would strongly encourage you to do this. Start now. Get your mind ready and get your soul ready because unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, but affliction is coming. So be ready for it. Guard your minds. And if you are in a time of affliction, same advice. Start now. You need to be rescued by what God says about himself in your life before you're tempted to blame or even curse him. He has the power to bring you back to his loving, protective arms with the help of renewing our minds each day. We can draw strength and hope by looking to our eternal home with Jesus. Focus on eternity instead of today. So first we see you renew your minds each and every day, but we can focus on eternity instead of just today. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When you're in the middle of any kind of hardship, from frustration with your career or your car needing work done to learning that you have cancer or that your parent passed away unexpectedly, your pain, no matter what level, it gives you tunnel vision. And in that moment, all you can see is what you're... Oh, I can see you guys much better. All you can see is what you're going through. All you can see is your pain, your anger, the lack of peace that you have in your life, and the desire for God to make it go away. Preach to yourself. Remind yourself that today's afflictions, they're momentary. The pain will eventually end. And that end may not come the day, until the day that you leave this world and join Jesus in, in the perfect one that's going to come. But the promise is, is that it will end. At the same time, your perfect life 
Well, Christ will begin, and that point, like I just said, it'll never end. We don't have to go through this struggle alone, though. We don't have to sit in our rooms and preach to ourselves and come to church and keep all these struggles inside. You can look to your brothers and sisters for help. You can look to your brothers and sisters for help. We should. Chris already spoke about this in the thread of church family and how God saves us to one another. We're meant to carry each other's burdens. That's what it says in Galatians 6 too. That's what God has designed the church family for, not to do this alone. Don't make yourself an island. It stinks. It's not helpful. Reach out to somebody. Conversely, if you're the one that someone is reaching out to, gently remind them of the truths that you've heard today. It does nobody good to just come at someone who's going through something, something hard and just say, well, you should rejoice. The Bible says rejoice. Come at it gently and with love. More importantly than leaning on ourselves by renewing our, our minds and, and changing our focus, and more importantly even than leaning on the people around us, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit for guidance and strength. And ultimately, everything that we learn today, and how I said it's kind of hard to take in, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit, which God has put inside us. If you're a Christian today, you literally have the power of God inside you, and it enables you to do everything that we've talked about. And sometimes it does it in ways that you don't even understand or plan. You're not actively thinking, Holy Spirit, make me do this. We should pray that way. We should pray that way when, when we're in struggle. Um, again, I'm going back to another story about uh, uh, child, children, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about Travis. I, I shared in a, a previous sermon that uh, Lauren was pregnant before with another baby before Travis, but we only knew for a week. And then um, God took that baby. And it was a weird place because we'd only known for a week. We didn't really get to even share the joy with people. All we got to share was the heartache um, of that a baby was gone. And I remember kind of being in this cloud of like, should I really be that sad? Or in days where I am really that sad and now I'm angry and I'm, I'm sad at the excitement I had and the, the, the future that I already saw was gone. But somehow one Sunday, and it must have been a Sunday that Lauren was singing because I was home alone, and I don't know, I really don't know why, guys. Um, so that's why I say this is the Holy Spirit doing its work through me. I wanted to listen to a Shane and Shane song, and it was their version of uh, Before the Throne of God. And I'm just listening to it in the kitchen while I make my breakfast, and I'm, I'm just on my knees, and I'm crying, and I'm singing. And I didn't decide, like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and Before the Throne of God has nothing to do with loss of children or, or suffering. I was just singing and preaching truth to myself. And it was through a song that I've heard before, and it just hit me. And because it made no sense, that is how I know for sure it was the Holy Spirit. It makes no sense that I did this. Thanks for hanging with me today. Today's message can be hard for, for you if you're in a good place or, and you know others that are suffering, or maybe you're at the one in the bad place right now. And maybe you're feeling discouraged. And if you are, I, I apologize, because that was absolutely not my intention. My intention was to point you towards God's word as your base for truth, above what your feelings or my feelings are in this moment on suffering. My hope was that you'd be able to keep faith and even rejoice in your afflictions only because you trust that the God of the universe is always in control and that he is not made of stone. He is always with you and he weeps with you in the middle of your pain, even though he ordained it himself. He loves you so much that he willingly went through his deepest affliction by giving up his son Jesus for your sins. My prayer is that you would not give up 
on understanding this complex balance of pain and trust and praise, but that you would continue to renew your minds and hearts by regularly taking in God's word so that you can focus on eternity, look past today, and depend on the Holy Spirit inside you during any tragedy you may face. Now, most of today I've been talking to the Christian. I want to address the non-believer here today. Maybe you're here and you're in the midst of hardship yourself and deep affliction, and this is the first time you've heard anything like this. My prayer for you is that you would allow your struggle, your hardship, to push you into the arms of Christ. That's my prayer to you. That's what all of our prayers for you today. And if that's where you are, please don't keep it to yourself. You can write it on your connection card if you want the elders to pray for it or to come talk to you. Come grab me after church. You can talk to Andy. He's going to be doing the announcements at the end, so you can talk to him. Um, you can talk to Matt. If you came here with a Christian friend that invited you and you finally said you'll go today and this is just tugging at you, talk to them. Don't waste this morning. Again, thank you guys so much for listening today. Let's pray uh, as we think about the truths that God taught us through his word. Heavenly Father, this stuff is hard. It's not easy. This world is not easy. The struggles that we go through are not easy. But you have promises for us in your word. You promise that you're in control through the good and the bad. You promise that the sufferings that we feel during this life, that they are short and momentary, even if they last our entire living days on earth, compared to the eternity of joy and peace with you in heaven because of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those here that are suffering, that are afflicted, that are struggling with these thoughts of trusting you in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their deep, deep pain. I pray that they would be able to, to look to your word, to preach to themselves, that you would renew their minds, you would renew their hearts in Jesus, that you would give them a focus past today and past uh, the pains that they're currently feeling. I pray that they would trust in you, not in spite of the pain, but through it, and that they would recognize that although you are in control and that you have ordained whatever they're going through, that you also weep with them. That Jesus, you are with them and your Holy Spirit is living inside of them. I pray that they would depend on that today. I pray that they would not fight these feelings of confusion and push them away, that they would work through them with a brother or sister in Christ. Lord, you are good. You never change. You are always in control. Be with us as we go from this place. Help us to comfort those that are in affliction with truth and not just platitudes of there's a reason for it. I pray all this, Lord, in humility, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.